Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us in the Weekly Standard is John McCormick, who is on the ground in Wisconsin. But I want to talk, John, not about what's specifically happening there with the race, but rather the macro political impact of Donald Trump's, uh, I don't even know what to call it, uh, astonishing lack of knowledge or ability to handle the basic questions about abortion policy. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, to just to catch our listeners up to speed, there was the town hall interview with Chris Matthews the other day, and Matthews pushed Trump on the issue of what he would do to uh, women who had uh, gotten abortions if, he, if they were banned, as Trump now proclaims that he wants to see them banned. And Trump hemmed and hawed, and he dodged a question about, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 times until Matthews uh, very persistently just made him answer the question, and Trump said that uh, they, they, there has to be some punishment for a woman who gets an abortion. Um, you know, pro-life leaders, activists uh, were the first ones to point out that, listen, you know, the laws prior to Roe versus Wade did not punish the women. They punished the abortionists who got that. There's um, you know, some very good pieces out there already. Um, Americans United for Life. If you Google Clark Forsyth, uh, he's got a good piece about pointing out just the history that, you know, back to the 1880s, uh, the law in the United States did not punish a woman for this. So basically, I, I, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, Trump wants to turn the clock back to maybe, I don't know, the 1500s. I'm not exactly quite sure um, how far you have to go back or into what culture. Um, but, you know, pro-lifers have always believed that the whole purpose is, you know, they want to save the lives of babies. You don't need to uh, punish women to do that, to accomplish that. Um, it might sound a little patriarchal, uh, but obviously pro-lifers do sincerely believe that um, women are oftentimes uh, victims, uh, secondary victims in, in the case of abortion. And so Trump just showed that he had completely no idea what he was talking about, said something very politically toxic, and then tried to clean it up about four hours later, saying that he didn't believe what he said and that he was just like Ronald Reagan and had never changed his position on abortion. So is the disturbing part for uh, Republicans uh, Donald Trump's actual lack of uh, vision of what he believes about abortion? Or is the problem that he apparently has gotten now, John, all you know, through two thirds of the delegates being handed out without even having to think about his position on abortion and who knows what we may discover tomorrow that he, you know, taxes. Hey, how are those things collected? I mean, it, it is, it is astonishing to me that you can get this far in the process and not be able to answer a first tier question. What is your position on abortion? Do you even understand it? Yeah, I think it's because, you know, so many in the media and his rivals just gave him the pass for so long. I mean, you know, people have seen for the last six weeks now, uh, the delusional, crazy, you know, meltdown Donald Trump, which you didn't see in a lot of those debates. You know, you saw a, you know, who, you know, he would sometimes go off the handle, fly off, you know, mock Rand Paul, mock low energy jab. Uh, but in general, when the other candidates weren't attacking, they weren't swarming him, which is what you typically get of the front runner. Um, you didn't have that. So people didn't really see the crazy Donald Trump, uh, you know, when the, when the actual viewers had a chance to, you know, when 16, 17, 23 million viewers were actually watching, you didn't see that. You know, the last six weeks or so, this is just the latest incident uh, in which he's really kind of just melted down. I mean, what it started with, I think, you know, the you could go back to what the 9-11 conspiracies, about the hijackers, the Iraq war conspiracy that Bush lied intentionally to start a war there. Um, you know, the fact that he can't stop talking about his hands and what that supposedly means for the rest of his anatomy, uh, you know, talking about punching people in the face and paying for the legal bills of the, you know, his, his supporters should do that. 
the, the insanity with the reporter Michelle Field, that he's standing by his campaign manager who grabbed her and suggesting that she might have been assaulting him when she brushed up against him or holding a pen that was a bomb. I mean, there's really delusional stuff. And then to remind everyone that he is going to say, you know, crazy, toxic things about stuff like abortion every other day, every other week, uh, if he's a nominee and is actually facing tough questions from the media, which is what you finally saw from Chris Matthews, because Trump has been so, so, so good at playing the media, you know, knowing that he can go to whoever he wants to and that they're going to play patty cake with them so they don't uh, lose their access. Uh, you know, Matthew showed that you actually have to, you know, follow up, ask Trump, you know, those follow-ups, you know, five, five, seven, ten times to actually get him to answer. And that's what he's going to face going into a general election where the media aren't interested in, in propping him up and actually seeing him elected as they have been and seeing him actually win the nomination and, and boost their ratings. Now, as you went through that list, John, of all those things that Trump has said and the things he's done that would... And I forgot in a, some, I'm sure. In a, nor- in a normal year would have bumped a candidate. Aren't you feeding the argument that Trump is just bulletproof, that his supporters simply do not care what he does? Or is this different because it deals with one of the fundamental, fundamental ideological pillars of conservatism, the issue of life? And I think, for example, I don't understand how a pro-life person has been supporting Donald Trump, and I know many have to this point, does this cause them to go, wait, wait a minute, uh, as angry as I'm at Washington, you don't mess with something as fundamental as abortion and make me look bad by saying that all over America there are conservatives who want to punish women who get abortions. You know, there are definitely two kinds of Trump supporters. There are the diehard uh, Trumpkin, cannot be persuaded, would still vote for him if you shot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Uh, Trump supporters, um, and then there are there are actually normal Republicans who support Trump, who can be persuaded by new information, who have been persuaded by new information. You know, Trump. Uh, Trump. I think Trump was going to win South Carolina with 40 percent of the vote or more until he said those things about the Iraq War and sounded like Michael Moore. He dropped down to 32 percent, losing. You know, one out of four of your supporters is no small thing um, over a single comment in a single debate. But, you know, what percent, what is this for exactly? What percentage of the supporters are just these diehard, rabid Trumpkins that, that cannot be persuaded? I don't know. I would think maybe 20% of the electorate. I thought one of the most revealing, uh, poll question that kind of drilled down into this was a, uh, is this Republican firm, uh, hired by the Washington free beacon to conduct a poll in Wisconsin. And they asked Wisconsin voters, you know, what would you do if you became convinced that Donald Trump was going to lose the election to Hillary Clinton and that Ted Cruz had a good shot of beating Hillary Clinton, uh, 56% said that they would stay with Trump even if they became convinced he was going to lose to Clinton rather than switch their vote to Cruz. But, you know, 37% said they'd switch over. So there, there is this is at least some sign that, you know, less than half, but a substantial number of Trump supporters um, are open to new information. You know, if they had if, if they became convinced by all this polling data and maybe some of them wouldn't, but obviously some might that Trump is losing by 12 points to Hillary Clinton, even though her favorable numbers are terrible. Ted Cruz is tied maybe a few points down, a few points up in some polls whereas Trump is losing by double digits. Um, you know, I think, I think that's kind of an interesting question about who, you know, who are the Trump supporters. You can't win the nomination without appealing to a lot of these regular Republicans. And I think that's the goal for the never-Trump forces for Ted Cruz is to keep Trump's uh, you know, numbers down, keep them stuck in the 30s, um, keep them as, as, as far down as you can. Obviously, you're not going to ever get them below 30, but as, as far down as you can keep them is the goal. Uh, how should... 
Republicans think about Ben Carson at this point, watching Ben Carson, who if you were going to do like a, a poster of pro-life advocates on the right, you know, Carson would be one of the guys. He'd be focused. He'd be featured up there with like Chewbacca and Princess Leia. I mean, he's like one of the key guys. And yet he went on television and dismissed Trump's, uh, first of all, ina- inaccurate smear of pro-lifers as people who want to push, punish women. And I, and I need to reiterate, he went out of his way to say that many and many conservatives want to push, punish women, which is just not true. But then he went on to defend it by saying, well, it's reasonable that he hasn't thought about it and had to ask his handlers. I just I, I can't imagine pro-lifers giving Hillary Clinton a pass on something like that. How should we think about uh, ben Carson and Jerry Falwell Jr. and the other people who are part of the pro-life evangelical movement who are still standing by Ted, uh, by Donald Trump. You know, a lot of these people, I think, have become more prominent simply because they become Trump supporters. You know, Ben Carson, he was well liked by the conservative movement for one speech that he gave, and they liked, the, you know, a lot of conservatives liked his personality. Uh, but he's actually been flaky throughout his career in terms of politics. I mean, if you, I don't know if Listeners want to Google the Washington Post story uh, in which Carson came out in favor of an abortion restriction in Maryland, cut an ad for it, and then appeared at a press conference with the pro-choice side saying that he opposed it later. (laughs) I mean, Ben Carson, as brilliant a doctor as he is, he has been kind of been a bit of a political flake his entire, uh, you know, in in the last 30 years, no matter what the issue is. Um, So I don't think that, you know, Carson is really actually – you know, much of an authority on pro-life issues. Uh, people, obviously, a lot of pro-lifers, a lot of evangelical Christians liked him. They liked the fact that he was soft-spoken and mild-mannered and talked about faith. Um, and the same thing, too. I mean, Pat Robertson, just today, he came out, uh, you know, another prominent, uh, you know, religious right figure saying that Michelle Fields could have been rushing Trump and that it could have been a danger. I mean, again, Robertson, I think, has been a charlatan throughout his career. Back in 2001, he basically excused uh, the Chinese one-child policy, including forced abortion. This is from a supposedly leading pro-life figure. He's like, yeah, I don't support it, but, you know, we shouldn't really meddle in their internal affairs. And so basically he was, you know, personally pro-choice, um, right. personally opposed, Pro- but pro-choice right. on the issue of forcing <laughs> Chinese women to get abortions. Well, the one last question for you is, do you think, the rank-and-file pro-life voters who, are like my parents, uh, evangelical Christians, got involved in politics really on the life issue, and uh, they they were never pro-Trump uh, in South Carolina where it mattered. Um, but you know they they're, they they've been very surprised by the number of evangelical friends who've been supporting Trump, excited by Trump. Does this end that excitement, or do you think that the desire for whatever emotional need that supporting Trump satisfies is going to overcome even a pillar of ideology like pro-life. Well, I think, like I said, for those, you know, those unpersuadable Trump voters, they just like the fact, you know, they, they think that he's, you know, authoritarian, that he's a strong leader. He's some sort of messianic figure who is going to come in and do all the great things and make everything wonderful. But I do think that, you, you know, conservatives, you know, I think that, that oppose Trump, they should do an all of the above approach. You know, they should make the case for why he's bad on life. It's not just that, you know, he'll say, well, I changed my mind just like Ronald Reagan. Well, it was a lot different back then. You know, I mean, it was in the 60s. Reagan was younger. Uh, you know, he signed what he thought was a more, more, you know, more moderate pro-choice law in California. It wasn't something like where Trump, where he's for late-term partial birth abortion. You know, something that's really indistinguishable from infanticide until his 60s, and then sort of has a, 
a supposed conversion when he sees that his friend's child, who was unwanted, and the, the friend wanted his child aborted, uh, the child was born and ended up being a total superstar. And then Trump was asked, you know, would would you change? Would, would you become pro-life if uh, that child had been a loser instead of the superstar? Jamie Weinstein, the Daily Caller, asked Trump that question. Trump replied, you know, uh, I don't know, probably not. You know, I haven't really thought of it. Um, I think that, you know, you, you just need to make the argument. Obviously, you don't know how many people are actually going to be persuaded, but you want to keep his, uh, you know, his ceiling as low as possible and reach as many people who are persuadable as possible. I think the phrase, I haven't really thought of it, could be the campaign slogan for Donald Trump. Or maybe, I want to punch him in the face. One of those two. So we'll, we'll get the bumper stickers rolling. John McCormick with The Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.